like to talk and read all things books and mystery. Funny stories. The characters of youth always tend to be a sleuth. The Hardy Boys will do. Don't forget Nancy Drew. It's a clue. Hello, super sleuths. I'm Kelly. And I'm Karen. Welcome to It's a Clue, a faux crime comedy podcast for runaways and masters of disguise. This Mm. week, we are discussing another current YA mystery novel, Super Sleuth Style. And this is book one in the Enola Holmes series called The Case of the Missing Marquess. Is that how you say that? Marquess? I don't know, girl. I was going to look it up because it's been, but like, I want it to be Marquess, but I know it's not. (laughs) I think it's like a marquee, but this is like the diminutive version oh a little marquee not yet a marquee he's a marquess i'm not a marquee <laughs> i'm not, not a marquess all i oh need God. is time okay anyway this book wow. is written by nancy springer <laughs> and kelly i have one ponder thought for you today it is a <laughs> would you rather are you ready Ooh, i yes i love these okay would you rather wear a corset every day for the rest of your life or wear a, a comfortable, sensible nun's habit every day for the rest of your life? Nun's but, habit. But oh. you, you have to take a vow of silence. Uh, you've met me, right? <laughs> I'm going to have to go with corset. Really? Yes. I'm stunned. Karen, I have too many thoughts to hold them in. Like, I I would be breaking that vow day two. I'd be talking in my sleep, you know? Like, also, while I have recently, and mostly due to pandemic, but, like, in quarantine, I have shed the the undergarments of our oppressor. And, uh, but, you know, having, having worn, like, Spanx, Almost every day of my adult life, I think I think I could I think I would do better with a corset. You could hack to it. To be honest, yeah. Interesting. You didn't say what size corset. Like if I have to commit to like you know going down a size every you know like she does no pass. No. But okay, mm-hmm. okay. How about you? Oh, hardcore nuns habit vow of silence, no question. Really, I love to swim in my clothing. I love a roomy garment. And Same. I could like. I have my iPhone. I could type words. Oh, oh, you're finding a loophole. <laughs> I have technology. I could. I don't. The, the, the vow of silenced religious figures get to like text and like just write, like carry around a dry erase board. Well, like, I didn't is say that how they get away with it. I didn't say you, you can't had communicate. To become a nun. Like you don't have to actually become a nun. You just have to wear that outfit and not speak. <laughs> And just not speak. Okay. Yeah. I, my question is, is there a difference between a vow of silence and not speaking? Oh. I mean, probably not. I'm probably reading far too deep into it. But I'm just like, you know, is a vow of, are you kind of like, you know, is is texting but not talking kind of like not in the spirit of the agreement? Oh, I see what, you know, that's, that is a great question. Um, but regardless, to, yes, I'm going to go with the corset. Although, you know, given my druthers, I'd do exactly what I'm doing now, which is wear a roomy, like, moo-moo garment every day and be a mouthy broad on top of it, so. <laughs> well, I, wow, this was a good would-you-rather. It really, it really perplexed you. 
It did. I'm, well, I mean, I, 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 there was a definitive choice, but yeah, it's it's made me like triple down on the choices I've made, <laughs> not without my back in a corner. I'm like, no, I'm definitely living my best life. All right, all right. Well, you're gonna be like the the sexy corseted lady, and I'm gonna be the scary nun floating around behind you. <laughs> <laughs> the silent nun. The silent nun in a Karen, habit. Karen like Karen like walks into the secondhand shop with her dry erase board and is like, I'll take the fourteen X nun's habit. I just wanna swim in it. <laughs> I just I'm going for comfort. Do you remember yeah. when you came to visit me? I mean a million years ago, because it was pre pandemic, but we went to see a movie at the theater and I'm pretty sure, yes, there was a trailer for that horror movie, The Nun before yes, the movie. Yes, I do remember that. That trailer messed me up. It, so, it ruined my life. I don't know how anyone has watched that entire film. If you have, no. please let me know if you're okay. But I had nightmares from the trailer. <laughs> I know. I saw this thing. I'm pretty sure it was about the nun. There, If I'm remembering correctly, there was something floating around social media, like probably six, 12 months ago, something like that, where there's this little girl, like for her like, fifth or sixth birthday, she wanted a The Nun-themed birthday party. No. She was obsessed with that movie. And, like, I think she dressed up as the character. I was like, what is happening? Like, my parents won't let me see that at 39. That is incredible. That kid's my hero. I know. I was like, that kid is Batman. And also has nerves of steel. Because there was exactly. a moment in that trailer where I jumped so hard I hit the roof of the theater. So, I don't... Well, I mean, I agree with you. And part of it was, um, I think... a. Uh, a knee-jerk reaction, I'll speak for myself at least, to like having seen some of those, you know, fanged expressions on real-life nuns' faces, you know, that like perhaps <laughs> taught me some kind of science course in high school. Uh, I, it was, you know, a little bit of a flashback. You yes. Know. Yeah, it was triggering for uh, sure. Lived experiences. Uh, mm-hmm. Well, okay. I took us on a nun rabbit hole. I, okay, well. Uh. <laughs> and, but here we are. But here we are. How was your week? What's new with you? Well, Karen, I don't like to brag, but I am now a master potter. Are you? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's I have taken two hours of pottery lessons, and I'm freaking amazing. You're going to go on the great pottery extravaganza, the great British pottery excursion of glory? Exactly. Yes, that one. <laughs> that throw TV down, show. The, the, the great the pottery throwdown. Yeah, if you're listening, producers, She's ready. I have successfully, over the course of four hours, made one three-inch walled vessel. I'm really impressed because... Thank you. I have tried to pot once or twice, and it is so much harder than it looks <laughs> no it's it's very hard i'm of course being like completely facetious so like i it's but all of that aside like i'm not good yet and i i, I recognize that it was kind of funny like i know i'm rambling but like it was kind of funny because i was in this group um in this class of like some of the nicest gals i've been in a class with in a long time like it was just like i think seven or eight of us fully enjoyable experience like we've got six more classes together um but one of them was so stressed out like instantly (laughs) she was stressed out and she was like sitting on the wheel next to me and like just agonizing every time something went wrong and I'm like you know I'm not having that experience right now I'm like this is gonna be bad I am gonna ruin every pot I try to throw today and that's fine that's okay there 
like there is some okay a piece of unsolicited advice karen which yes as you and 100 percent of my friends and previous friends will agree with i offer far too much but <laughs> um <laughs> the, the vibe like getting your hands like physically dirty like this was one of the more enjoyable crafts like as someone who sews and like you know bakes and does things that are like not that baking doesn't have some mess involved but like this this was dirty you know i came out i had clay all over myself i would you know and it was awesome there is something very therapeutic about like getting your hands in the dirt i love it so highly recommend what are you gonna make me a little mug i can't i can't commit to a shape yet (laughs) that's fair that's very fair i i think i can commit with some degree of certainty that i can give you something made of made of clay (laughs) will be made of clay and likely will be able to contain something else (laughs) a vessel as it were perfect um but beyond that i i can't i can't commit so i that's really fair my and my my limited pottery experience that I think I was stressing the teacher out because my things just kept flying off the wheel. (laughs) Like I was like, oop, ruined that one too. Oop, ruined that one. I had to start over about a hundred times. And as you mess up your thing, your workable clay gets smaller and smaller. (laughs) And the teacher very much wanted me to have something to show for this. And so Mm -hmm. she's like, just, we'll just, you just make something tidy. And what I walked away with was a vessel so small that it now sits on the back of our toilet, and it is the receptacle for incense matches in the bathroom. <laughs> ah, it's uh, about. Well, it's not much larger than a quarter. I would say it's very small. <laughs> but I love that you kept it. I did. I'm very proud of it. That's I, that's I, lovely. I tried my hardest. Dad has made a request of me as well, so mm-hmm. I, I have I have a lot of, you know, orders to of, fulfill. Uh, orders already. Yeah. <laughs> um, he wants a he very specifically wants me to make a bad trophy to interesting give, mm-hmm, to give to whoever wins their next like uh flying competition at oh. the at the remote control flying field is clay a popular trophy medium <laughs> no but i have not yet gone into like take any kind of forging class so i think this is all i can offer him <laughs> Fair. You know, he's like, well, in lieu of an actual trophy, could you like, you know, put handles on something you make? I'm like, I'm sure I can come up with something oh, bad yeah, to, give, like a, to give as a reward. A handled chalice situation. Yeah, I see it. I can see it. Yeah, yeah. So I'll uh, be sure to, you know, post lots let you of know photos. How that progresses. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, enough about me. What's up with you? Well, you inspired me. So. All of you that know us and are knowing us now via listening to this, you may have noticed that Kelly and I have a propensity to collect hobbies. And <laughs> we like to it's, make things. It's like I, it's like our best and worst characteristic. Could not agree more. Uh, yes, and so I mean that's that's not true. Probably my worst characteristic is the unsolicited advice thing, but you know, <laughs> close second is. <laughs> well, they they can go hand in hand. <laughs> you should really try this. Let me give you a tip on your pottery because I've done yeah, this. Don't, right. don't stress so much while you do this. You're just supposed to be having fun. <laughs> so you inspired me, and I have bursted out from my closet, busted out, bursted out a 
an activity that I have never touched due to what? intimidation. So about, oh my gosh, probably a decade ago, I got, you know, started on my textile art kick with crocheting mm-hmm. and knitting and all of mm-hmm. those types of things. and Which the, you're extremely talented at, by the by. Thank you. I think that's overzealous, but I appreciate that. It's feedback. not. I keep, I keep a crochet board on Pinterest, not for me to make. <laughs> <laughs> They're all items that I'm at some point going to request of you. I'm like, done. Can do. I can do that for you. Yeah. So the next logical step on that train was, well, I should get really into weaving. <laughs> and okay. I bought a rigid heddle loom, which is a, a type of loom that one can have in your home. Mm-hmm. And it's okay. it's not small. It's not a huge loom. I'm mm-hmm. certainly not going like full pioneer woman here, but it is... <laughs> sizable it's the size of a small table and um oh boy is it confusing (laughs) so so i have follow-up questions if i may i don't know if i'll be able to answer them which is part of the problem but (laughs) what is the substrate that you load onto the loom and what is the substrate that you produce you look oh good word yarn of you know different types wool typically wool yarn okay Um, and usually nice yarn as well. Like we're not talking from the dollar bin at Joann's. You need like a certain a certain type of yarn that will stretch just enough, but not too much while you're, et cetera. I don't know, man. I have no idea what I'm doing. But yarn is what you put onto it. Okay. Vertically. And then you're weaving through that horizontally to make okay. your, your little waffle pattern. And then you're basically creating fabric. Oh, okay. I understand. So you can create, a lot of people make... Like tapestries and stuff. Yes. And a lot of people will make things like scarves or shawls, but you can also Mm. make... What what I will be starting with, because it's so so freaking hard, is hand towels probably because they're smaller. Um, But yeah, you're you're essentially weaving sheafs of fabric. (gasps) That's so cool. It is really cool. And, you know, most of it... What I will be creating is a very, you know, grid-like pattern, but people do mm-hmm. some crazy stuff. Like, it's got a reindeer pattern woven into mm-hmm. it. And, like, it get like, total fair aisle kind of style That's weaving. That's so cool. Yeah, it is a huge wormhole, and there's all these different types of looms and everything you need to know about the yarn. And the hardest part is just getting the loom set up so that you can start weaving. Mm-hmm. That probably takes yeah. about... Well, for someone who's good at it, an hour, it will probably take me a day just to get the yeah. the the yarn loaded in to start weaving. Yeah. Um, it's really complicated, so I have yeah, but it that's out. that's so cool. Good for you. It's been removed from the box for the first time ever. That's step one. Uh, yes, and all of the supplies are organized around it, and I've watched about a thousand YouTube videos, and I'm feeling ready to... That's amazing. ...make a really ugly hand towel as attempt no, no, number no. one. <laughs> oh, I would I would like legit love to see pictures of this. Okay. Yes. I will That sounds so cool. I will take photos and I will, you know, probably look really stressed out in the photos because I'm don't, so confused. Don't, be st- don't Karen, don't be like my pottery partner. <laughs> you're right, you're right. Just enjoy the process. It is supposed to be a very meditate meditative craft. Um yeah. And it, and I can see how that is because it's a very repetitive motion. Like yes. once you get into the habit of it and 
will be a fantastic activity for binge watching everything on Netflix. Uh, (laughs) I was going to say, like, this is the perfect thing. Like, that's that's one of the things I listen to podcasts while I sew. Yeah. And it's it's so nice. Yes. Well, yay! I'm very excited to hear that. I can't wait to see um, what you create. Crafty ladies making lots of stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Well, now that we've talked about our uh, egregious number of activities that we collect. Now that we've changed the podcast theme. (laughs) It's now crafting based. Um, (laughs) Our other thing we're obsessed with is reading. And we read a book. Would you like to talk about it with me? Uh, I sure would. Big time yes. (laughs) I don't know what I would do if you said no, actually. (laughs) Right. Roll credits. Like, all right. Well, that's a wrap. All right. Nice knowing Mm. (laughs) y'all. Well, so this was like, quote unquote, my book this week. So shall I give you a little background info? Yes, please. What did we read? We read Enola Holmes, the first in the Enola Holmes series, which is the case of the missing Marquess, which we already discussed because pronouncing Marquess. So this is written by Nancy Springer who has written over 50 books and, you know, much like she has kind of reimagined the world of Sherlock Holmes and the Sherlock Holmes character, you know, 20 years down the line, um, she's written some other books where some other characters from literature are reimagined, like Mordred from, (gasps) you know, Arthur, King Arthur. Oh, I I was obsessed Mm -hmm. with King Arthur and specifically with Mordred. Oh, I have to read those. I think it's called I Am Mordred, but I could be making that up. It's something like that. But yeah, Nancy Springer. And she wrote one about Robin Hood, and I don't know the name of that. But um, she's, you know, highly awarded author. And so this book, the specific one we're reading, as well as one of the ones later in the series, I think the sixth one in the series, were nominated for the Edgar Awards for oh. the Best Juvenile Mystery, um, which I don't think we've had an Edgar Awards nominee or winner yet. Um, but the Edgar Awards are named after Edgar Allan Poe. Love him. Uh called the Edgars, presented every year by the Mystery Writers of America. And, and you know, it's for the best mystery book show theater production film production um of the year so this this was nominated and i think rightfully so we should just i really just want to google the list of all of the nominees every year and i feel like that Mm. will be my reading and watching list for the rest of my life (laughs) yeah i mean for for real right um that would be a good way to find you know super sleuths if we ever run out of ones we already know about and want to read so good call um, as I believe you know, this was a Netflix movie very recently starring Millie Bobby Brown. Millie Who's Bobby from Brown. Stranger Things. Oh, oh, oh. I did not put that together. Did I just click. The yeah. whole time. She was 11 in Stranger Things. I was telling myself, she looks so familiar. Who right? are you? I had no idea. <laughs> when I watched it too, it took me a minute just because. <laughs> like the character is so different and like her hair is super long in this and you know she's wearing all these frilly dresses and everything so yeah it took me a minute too but she um she pr- she's a producer or like the primary producer i think on this as well which is kind of cool wow. um but it seems like maybe this is the 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 movie is pretty different from the book that it is named after so different um, and I think partially it's trying to be a little bit more inclusive of the series, but having not read the entire series, I'm not sure about that, but it is pretty different. Yeah. Um, yep. 
And did you watch the movie? I'm about 75% of the way yeah. through the movie. I finished the book yesterday, and so then I immediately started the movie. And mm-hmm. right from go, there are stark yeah. differences, for sure. Vast differences. And, like, the the movie, it's funny, because I watched the movie first, and I, and I really, really liked it. And then I read the book, like, a year later, and I like the book better, for sure. But it's just, I think, because they're so different, you know? Yeah. So this yeah. is one instance where I was kind of glad that I watch the movie first I think um uh let's see so okay this is kind of my last point um I found this very interesting on June 23rd 2020 so a little a little over a year ago the estate of Sir Arthur Conan Doyle sued uh Nancy Springer (gasps) Legendary Pictures PCMA Productions and Netflix what uh uh-huh citing copyright and trademark infringement oh my Really? Yeah. So now I'm taking all of this from Wikipedia. Okay. So take it all with a grain of salt. And this is my interpretation of like three sentences about this. It was it was ultimately dropped. Um, the lawsuit was dismissed. Uh, but what is interesting is that it doesn't sound like they were suing over the actual use of using the Sherlock Holmes character. Okay. They were suing over his portrayal. Oh. So, and I don't know enough about trademark and copyright, but it's it's uh, just to read. It says the lawsuit specifically referenced Holmes's becoming more emotional in the final 10 works, presenting a more quote unquote human side to Sherlock, something that he was not known to present in the original works prior to the character's resurrection after the final problem. According to the suit, the Enola Holmes mysteries and adaptations violate the trademark and copyright on this particular depiction of Holmes. What? So it basically it sounds to me like they're suing because you know, they're talking about, I mean, Holmes is not, Sherlock is not really portrayed in, like, this great light in the books. And they're saying, no, he underwent a transformation in the last ten books, and he's, you know, a kinder, more sympathetic character, and that's not represented. Interesting. That, I didn't know that you could sue over something like I, that. I didn't either. Um, and, like, not all of the books are yet in, in the public domain although most of them are so i don't know i mean i guess that's why she's able to use the character and that's why they're not like suing about her using the character but it's interesting that they're suing about like his his emotional state in the books well kelly this is good to know because you're gonna rewrite all the nancy drew books so you need to you need to lawyer up you got to be careful i know i'm like i guess i'm gonna have to make her like I don't know, very mercurical. mercurial. <laughs> to keep in line with, you know, what the we constantly know. changing moods of Nancy. Yeah, our golfing best buddy. <laughs> exactly. Our golfing, boating, criminal mastermind. Nope, nope, detective mastermind. Um, last thing, there are graphic novel versions of a couple of these. Oh, nice. Yeah, so I want to go in search of those. They're, they're um, by a French writer and illustrator named Serena... Blasco. I don't know if I'm saying that right, but um, oh, I, would I think they are that. available on the U.S. market. So that sounds kind of cool. I can definitely see how these books would lend themselves well to that format. Mm-hmm. I'm in. I'm in. Um, anyway, that's that was a great series of fun facts. Thank you. I just learned a lot. Thank you. And we may have prevented future lawsuits for when you rewrite Nancy Drew. So it's true. Good yes. learnings. Yes. Now we are lawyers. 
Well, without further ado, I think that we should do a super fast plot overview, Kelly. I'm ready. Which you wrote and will present for the joy and delight of our audience. Reminder, folks, if you have not read this book and you don't want spoilers, maybe don't listen to this. Or if you like spoilers like me, do listen to it and enjoy. Uh, but <laughs> we will be we will be telling you exactly what happens in this book. So with that, I will <laughs> hand it over to my sister. Dun, dun, dun. First, it's important to know that Enola Holmes is the much younger sister of Mycroft and Sherlock, whose names you may recognize. Her father had died 10 years before this book, which is the last time Enola has seen her brothers. Her mother, Eudoria, has raised Enola at Ferndale Hall, instilling in her the values of education, physical sport, and deduction, as well as feminist ideals. Her mother also gave her the name Enola, which is alone spelled backwards. On Enola's 14th birthday, she receives the following gifts that have been left for her by her mother. A paint set, a book about the hidden meanings of flowers, and a handmade book of ciphers. When her mother doesn't return the next day, Enola looks for her and eventually contacts the police as well as her brothers. When her brothers arrive, it is determined that one, Eudoria has intentionally disappeared, and two, Enola must go to boarding school so that her spirit and possibly her ribs can be broken and she can enter polite society. Enola is like, hard pass. She realizes that the book of birthday ciphers her mother left lead to various hiding places where money has been stashed for her. With plenty of money and lots of motivation, Enola concocts a plan to run away from this life and also to find her mother. While in transit to boarding school, she enacts her escape plan. Dressed in disguise and with tools, money, and additional supplies hidden in her bustle, corset, and hip amplifiers, she bicycles to a nearby town in order to board a train to London where she can get lost and evade her brothers. At the station, she overhears that the Marquess of Tewkesbury is missing and presumed kidnapped. She goes to investigate, and at the Tewkesbury estate deduces, one, the Marquess has not been kidnapped, he ran away to get a job on a boat, and two, her life's calling is to be a perditorian, a finder of lost things. She tells the Lord's mother and a psychic that has come to help find the boy that her son can be found in London at the docks, and then Enola boards the train for London. Once in London, she realizes it's not quite so beautiful and glamorous as she had imagined. On her way to a secondhand clothing store to buy a new disguise, Enola is accosted and kidnapped off the street. She's thrown in the hold of a boat along with, gasp, the missing Marquess. She realizes that one of the captors looks a lot like that psychic who is helping Tukey's mom and deduces that the psychic was the kidnapper in disguise running a con. Using her wiles, steel corset, and a big rock, she helps them both to escape the clutches of their captors. On the run from their kidnappers, Enola bribes the owner of the secondhand shop to hide her and the Marquess. Later, wearing new disguises, they see a newspaper article showing that a ransom has been requested for the Marquess, who decides he must go home. He doesn't want his parents fleeced of money, and he also realizes that maybe his life isn't quite as bad as he thought. Enola escorts him to Scotland Yard so he can turn himself in, where she sees Sherlock. She quickly escapes through a back door, leaving behind her a drawing showing that the psychic and the kidnapper are one and the same. We learn later that Sherlock understands the clue Enola left and the villain is captured. Enola starts a business as a scientific predatorian, and she may also be helping the poor in disguise as a nun. The end. So good. It's so good. It's a good book. 
Oh, I loved it. I loved it all. Great job, Kelly. Thank you very much. Would you tell me now your general thoughts and musings about this book? Uh, big time. Yeah, so <laughs> absolutely loved it. Like, this was a very easy read, um, but, like, so much packed into it. Uh, I loved having a first-person narrator. Um I just, I love the character a ton. And I've always loved Sherlock Holmes. So it's like you almost get to kind of relive the joy of those mysteries, except through a female protagonist. So that's amazing. Um, I love all the smash the patriarchy themes. Yep. Gotta love that. Um, Yeah. So can't wait to read the next one. I'm going to go get that ASAP. How about you? I also loved it. I will tell you first, the night before I started reading this book, I had a dream that I picked it up off my nightstand and started reading it. And the whole book was written in old English. (laughs) And in my dream, I had a meltdown like, oh, no, how am I going to read this in time to talk about it on the (laughs) podcast? This is going to take forever. So I was really relieved when I did pick it up and it was... Legible. It's like Nola Holmes Beowulf style. Yeah, it totally was. I was very <laughs> concerned, but it was very easy to read, which was a relief. Um, but yes, I also had my veritable socks charmed off by this book. I like you. I loved the character. Like she's brave. She's funny. She's imaginative. Her brothers suck, and she doesn't let yeah, that like bad. get her down. She's like, whatever. Mm-hmm. I don't need you. Um, I also really love the whole rebel mother daughter vibes. That the, mm-hmm. the mom has been, like, raising her in her own footsteps kind of thing. And now they're yeah. on, they're not together, but they're both on a similar like type of adventure. parallel journeys. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I thought that was super magical. Um, and, and I truly wish I had read these when I was younger. I wish these had, had existed when I was in grade school because I would have loved them so yeah. much. Yeah. It's, you know, one of the things that I like about Enola is that I mean, first of all, like you just said, like her school with her mom almost has that, like we've talked about it before, like that, when are we going to get our owl to Hogwarts, right? It's yeah. it's almost like that, though. It's this magical schooling experience. But she's also not one of these, like, she's not a female protagonist that has zero doubts. She's not just like... 100% confident, 100% self-assured. She knows who she is. She knows what she's doing. She doesn't take flack from anybody. Like, no, she has plenty of doubts. And she yeah. has, you know, but you see her work through those and, and go, oh, well, I'm going to do it anyway. Yeah. And, like, that is so relatable. And um, what's the word? Like, aspirational. Totally. You know, to, to know that you, like to have doubts but not let them get in your way yeah and like unlike our friend nancy she genuinely gets scared often yeah she has moments where she is in over her head Mm -hmm. and is is uh, terrified it's not Mm -hmm. you know steel nerves nancy drew who is diving headfirst into a cave full of potential killers you know like it'll be fine (laughs) it'll be fine Nancy Drew in the killer cave. Yep, yep. So I really liked the, I totally agree with what you said. I liked how real she was. Yeah. Especially for her age and the society she was in. It was chef's kiss. Yes, exactly. Mwah. Well, like per usual with Super Sleuth episodes, we kind of have just been doing like talking about our favorite parts and the stuff we like. So I think we're kind of 
getting into it already, but do, would you like to go first? I would love to go first. Well, Thank you. Take it away, sis. Okay, my favorite thing was definitely the running away plot. Oh my gosh, same. And the planning. And I I think we both also loved this about the mixed up files of Mrs. Basil E. Frankweiler. Mm-hmm. Yes. Like the, the scheming and the preparation and the gathering of supplies and the mapping out the, the phased rollout of the plan is so mm-hmm. much fun. Yes. To witness. Um, so, and it's less about the the deliverable or the end result for me i just love the the plan me too. me too it's it's like um yeah it's 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 watching how her mind goes through the steps to figure out the plan like i mean i remember it's it, it, how do how do i phrase this like i mean i never actually wanted to run away from home as a kid totally like, you know but that's not to say i didn't plan it I did want to run away from home once. You did? I did. Why? And then, <laughs> what, were, were you, how old were you? I can't believe I've never told you this. So it was in grade school. I can't mm-hmm. remember exactly what grade I was in, maybe like sixth grade. And this was at the time that orthodontia started <laughs> in my life, which was a dark... The corset of the teeth. A hundred per- perfectly stated. You totally made this all come full circle. And so I had gotten that horrible retainer glued to the top of my mouth that I think yep. many people with, our age with will the recall. Key in it. The expander, it was uh-huh. called. And yeah. every day when it's... I would come home from school, the key would be placed in this <sighs> thing and then it would be cranked. And Lord have mercy on my soul, it felt like medieval torture. Well, it, well, it is. It I was going to say, I mean, it's it's just like a rack for your mouth. Yeah. And I remember, like, mom, I would cry. Mom would cry because she had cry. to do it. It was just <laughs> awful. And uh-huh. I was sitting <laughs> I was sitting in the bus line waiting to go home from oh, school. No. <gasps> this wasn't a, a, like, well-planned out escape either. Uh-huh. This was a spur of the moment. Like, yeah. I may just flee. And yeah. I saw the bus pull up and my immediate thought was, what if I just don't get on the bus? <laughs> like, I just, then like I never. That, this concludes my plan. <laughs> yeah. And I think, you know, I had like half of a bologna sandwich still in my uh-huh. backpack. And I'm uh-huh. like, that'll, that'll take care of I'm me good. for a week. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> I, I can, I can live off that for days. <laughs> like, I'm a kid. I don't know, man. Like, this seems like a good idea. Uh-huh. But then, then in my moment, the moment, the, what is it called? The, the critical the, moment. Oh, the Yeah. Yes. I realized that. As a, you know, sixth grader or whatever I was, I had no way to get the retainer out of my mouth if I ran away from oh, home. And oh, man, they really did have you, didn't they? I I was like, I'll, I will, if I do this, I will have to live with this two-inch piece of plastic in the top of my mouth forever. And that was worse. So I did not run away from home. <laughs> oh, Karen, that makes my heart hurt. I... I, I mean, I had one of those too. I went more to like a, uh, I, I, I wanted to commit violence. Like I wasn't just looking for escape. Like I wanted to like wreak revenge on those who had hurt me. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I kind of remember as, you taking a vow of silence like, then. I, well, I, I did. I was mad. I was using everything at my disposal, like <laughs> short of a hunger strike, which is just not my style. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I, it was 
those were dark times. They were. Well, I'm um, thank you yeah. for. I'm sorry to bring that back up and make you relive that, but yeah. Um, well, and so unlike man, you're right though. We we can relate to Enola more than I thought. Totally, and unlike me, and it sounds like also you, I just gave in to despair, and but. Enola mm-hmm. realizes that these clothes she hates, like the corsets she's now being forced to wear mm-hmm. and all of these thousands of pounds of undergarments can actually help her in the long run, mm-hmm. which is cool. So she uses her undergarments and like the bustles and all of this stuff to as like storage, basically. Yeah. <laughs> and her corset ends up saving her life because it's yes, it's made of steel. It saves her life twice because it's made of steel and mm-hmm. uh, the bad guy tries to stab her and cannot because of mm-hmm. these metal stays. And then mm-hmm. also, when she's kidnapped, she's able to wrestle one of the pieces of metal out to saw herself out of her ropey bonds. Yeah. So yeah, it's I mean that corset's like armor slash Leatherman slash you know amazing waist enhancer all in one. Totally. So I I liked that. She was like, look. Mm-hmm. If this, if these clothes are going to come on this journey with me, I'm going to use them to my my larger purpose, basically, yes. which was cool. Yes, exactly. Um, what else did I want to say about this? Well, before we move on from clothes, one one key difference between the book and the movie, and 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 I particularly oh. liked this point in the book, is that she intentionally runs away wearing the clothes of a lady the corset the busted you know all of those things not only because they help her hide all this stuff but also because it's the opposite of what sherlock would expect her to do yes she she knows that because she's kind of like a you know a quote-unquote tomboy and um you know she likes comfortable shoes and she likes comfortable clothes and she doesn't like wearing gloves and all of that that he will expect that she will dress up as a boy yep yep and so she does the opposite of that um which is not what she does in the in the movie she she runs away disguised as a boy and at least initially and i don't know that was one thing i really liked about her was that she's i mean she's got some like counter maneuvers planned from the get-go yep she and she does that with the whole plan too yeah because she knows that sherlock will expect her to have Mm -hmm. a plan laid out of Mm -hmm. and she she kind of is a little loosey-goosey with it she's like i know i need to get on a train Mm -hmm. and i know i need to get on a train that's not in a town where he'll look for me but aside Mm -hmm. from that let's just like let it ride because Mm -hmm. if she over plans it she knows that he will be able to reverse engineer her plan which is awesome exactly it's so it's so smart i mean she also decides she's going to go to london because she's not going to go anywhere she's been before because he'll expect her to go someplace she knows and he won't expect her to go to the same city he's in yep yep so i don't know i just you know enola is playing chess and sherlock thinks she's playing checkers and that's why i mean his underestimation of her yes Yes. Is what allows her to get, you know, to escape. And, you know, it's so, I don't know. I don't, I'm sure that speaks to like a larger theme or something, but it's like quit underestimating these women. Yes. No, agreed. And she uses that to her advantage so well in that he knows nothing about her, but she has him completely figured out. Mm-hmm. And yep. she can also like 
it's sad, but it works to her advantage, is that he consistently does not recognize his own sister because he has been so right. non-present in her life. Yeah. Um, multiple times, he's like, who are you? And she is... Yeah, in- including when she's, like, in no way trying to disguise herself. Right, right. Um, so she, yeah, like, she uses some of the darker aspects of their relationship to, like, mm-hmm. sally forth, so... Yeah. Huge fan of Enola. Love her. Yeah. Big fan. Well, one of the things that I liked in this book were all of the social issues it raised. And, you know, to talk about kind of, uh, not the easier one, but like maybe the more straightforward one first, you know, she goes into London and and the Marquess experiences this too. They, They go into London for the first time from their, you know, like, county estates out Mm -hmm. you know in these beautiful palatial places in the middle of nowhere and they've you know they've completely fantasized that london is going to be this amazing town that's just full of carriages and beautiful gowns and operas and parties and you know certainly while that's going on in part of the city the bulk of the city at this point and certainly the parts of the city that they find themselves in are in no way that totally and you know, they they really kind of get upfront and personal with, you know, poverty and hunger and disease and, you know, really like what is London at this point of time. Yep. And it opens their eyes in this dramatic way. And I don't know. I mean, so I this is kind of a question I have for you. I mean, there is this non-named woman who is wearing a nun's habit who is you know doing charity amongst the poor in london initially i thought it was her mother oh but then i was like no it's it's got to be enola right yeah yeah okay i think the nun is an enola alter ego an enola arch yeah yep yep i don't think it's the mom i think the mom is 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 the brambling rose or whatever the clue is at the yeah. end. The mom is out on some adventure. Um, yeah. But I, yeah, I, I read that, that the nun was Enola. Okay. Yeah. That's when, when it got to the end, I was like, Oh, I guess, I guess the, the nun is Enola. So, I mean, it made such an impression on her that, and she is such a good hearted person, which I think we have to chalk up to how she was raised. Mm-hmm. Um, that, you know, she spends, some of her time in London routinely going and doing charitable work and theoretically distributing, you know, food and money among the poor. So um, I think that's interesting. But then the other huge thing in this book is, you know, women's issues. Oh, for real. And it's, I mean, the whole books, the whole book kicks off, right, with, Anola's mother leaving just yes. out of the middle of nowhere she leaves and the reason we find out is that because her husband has died 10 years earlier when Anola is four and her two sons Mycroft and Sherlock come home for the funeral and Mycroft because he is now the oldest son owns the estate and everything. everything in it everything and Right. And like, not just like his mother, who runs the estate and has lived there her entire life, her entire adult life, at least, 
she has literally no say in anything. She doesn't own anything. She is there at the, like, at the mercy of her son. That's exactly what I was going to say. He was like, by the grace of my generosity, mother, I suppose you can continue to live here, but I will control the purse strings and you will get what I say you can get, which Mm -hmm. is disgusting. It's disgusting. And it's like nauseating and so you know in retrospect they kind of figure out that eugenia the mom has um conned her son because first of all he's so pompous that he would never question any of this but also he never comes to visit so she's been um requesting more and more money every month in her allowance for various things and she's stockpiling all of this money um And she's taken a bunch of it, theoretically, but she's also left a ton of it for Enola so that Enola can make an escape as well. Yep. And and ultimately, you know, the brothers know exactly why their mother left, because this is what created this huge rift, and there was this big fight, and they never came back to visit because of that. And, but all because of disenfranchising their mother. Yep. And then she leaves and they do the exact same thing to Enola. They are just going to ship choices. her off. Yep. Yeah. Um, she says she doesn't want to go. They say, we don't care. I don't want to wear this. Wear it anyway. I don't want to do that. Do it anyway. I mean, uh, it just makes me shudder. I have just it recently, just I read a book uh, probably a month or so ago that, that just came out and it's a really quick read um, and it's called The Mad Women's Ball. And Mm. it's set in the same time period. It's in France, though, at this, I don't remember the name, but it's this real place. It was an asylum for Mm -hmm. women that Mm -hmm. had basically been deemed mentally unstable. And this book, it's exactly what we're talking about. It is horrifying because so many of the women that are, like, locked up in here and the key is thrown out, it's happened because of these types of scenarios. They're like... Don't want to deal with your little sister anymore. Just take her and drop her off here and tell them that she's crazy and no questions are asked. And it's, it was, it's a really good book. I won't like give away what the the actual like crux of it is, but it's about a woman who this happens to her father and brother basically decide that she's lost her mind and are like, okay, bye (laughs) and dump her at this place. And like, that was, oh, that was just how they do back then. And it is. Yeah so upsetting (laughs) it's so upsetting i mean there's um i'm thinking of the show there's a show on hulu called harlots did you ever watch that no i haven't seen it it's oh my god you it's great it's a great show but it's a lot of these issues come up in it um you know there there's a lot of um i mean there's a whole bunch of stuff that comes up but um one of the things that gets talked about is bedlam which is, you know, the Mm. insane asylum in London. And men could just take women there for any reason. And, I mean, the conditions are horrible. And they're abused. And it's just because they just don't like them or because they said no to them. Or, you know, oh, my God, it's terrible. It's terrible. So um, don't like any of this. Um, I, I do... It is, it is nice to see Enola figure out some workarounds. So one, one of my favorite <laughs> yes. parts in this book is, um, I mean, first of all, that she's, she nopes out of there. 
Yep. You know? Um, I... It does make me mad that her mom didn't take her with her. That was what I was just going to ask you. And I... That is the the painful hole in my heart from this book. Like, why did she not bring Enola on her journey? Um, I hope that question is answered (laughs) in a... Yeah. Healthy way in, in future books. But that really... That really has stayed with me and made me sad. I, I have I have to think that, at least the way I've interpreted right now, which could change, but I I feel like Eugenia has to know that this this is a big choice. Like um and that it has to be Enola's to make. So I think she's trying to not do to Enola what her sons have done to her. And mm. force her into an impossible decision. Like, yeah. do you want to be with your mother or do you want to give up your, you know what I mean? Like, that's yeah. an impossible choice. Um, so I think instead she gave her all of the tools that she needed, including money, to make that choice if she wanted to. She's yeah. taught her all these things. She's, you know, but she didn't. She, it, she knows what Enola would have picked if she'd asked her, you know? And and there's a chance that Enola doesn't want to leave society or her home or money or comfort or whatever, you know? I mean, that's got to be a a big choice to make, but you cert- it would be an impossible choice if it was like you can either have your home or you can have your mother. Yeah, I mean, that's, yeah. And that, you know, you raise a good point. That is a theme we have seen in... A few of the other super sleuths, like the Inheritance Games and the Westing Game, you know, this this mentor figure who kind of steps aside and says, I've given you all the tools for your toolkit. Now it's mm-hmm. your time to shine. I've, you know, I've shown you how to rise to these challenges. Now you're going to set off on your biggest challenge yet. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's giving the giving the character agency, as you said, to make the choice and show what they've learned, basically, and, mm-hmm. and really grow and take care of themselves. Um, but kind of like, oh, it's still like kind of heartbreaking because she's just a kid. Oh, it's super heartbreaking. <laughs> she's I know, I'm like, 14 seems too young. Yeah. Oh, when I was routinely like brushing my teeth without reminding at 14. No, I still thought that I was going to marry a Backstreet Boy when I was 14. So like, <sighs> you're a, you're a youth Karen, at that age. Karen, it's not too late. <laughs> it is because I am married to the most wonderful man in the world and he's not a Backstreet Boy. And that is all for the best. <laughs> all for one. <laughs> and all for love. That's wrong, not a Backstreet Boy. Wrong song, band, but, but right I mean, sentiment. But, you, but it's the sentiment. I'm going for the sentiment. You didn't set me up right for the joke, so... <laughs> Yeah, I the the last thing I'll say I I absolutely love and what I, let me back up. So talking about her and her mother, I mean, presumably if Enola has interpreted the ciphers right, her mother has run off with the quote unquote gypsies, which is how it's referred to in the book because that would have been how they were referred to at the time. Um, but she's she's like run off to live like a you know non corseted nomadic life. Yeah, you know. Um, on the road, in the country, traveling, right? Enola, in this book, pretty early on, when she sets off on this adventure, she almost immediately comes to the conclusion she has this, like, aha moment of knowing what her calling is. And she's going to be a perditorian. Yes. And, And so her 
what then this takes me to like what I was going to say, which is she kind of concludes the book with she goes into business for herself. She literally like puts out a shingle in London. Yep. For a professor who is a scientific predatorian who is is non-existent not not i love this so much yeah and she under a pseudonym is the secretary but she's actually the predatorian it's her business but she she can't have a business as a woman at the time so she kind of works the system right so you know you look at that and it's like okay well if this is enola living her best life that is not actually what Eugenia living her best life is. Yes. So yes. Had she forced, had she, had she said, you know, come with me, I'm leaving. Enola would have gone, but then she would have been again in a lifestyle that didn't match what she wanted. She wouldn't have been able to forge her own path. You're totally right. It, this, I know I keep saying this, but this also reminded me of past super sleuth. So very Mrs. Basilie Frankweiler moment here where mm. at the end of that book, she's helping Claudia find her calling. You know, like Claudia yes, throughout this- Yes, I forgot about that. She's figuring out who she is. She's figuring out what she's good at. One of which is historical research and kind of like sleuthing of the past. And Mrs. Basil gives her the keys to the file cabinets and says, this mystery is yours to solve. And you you have the clues, you have the tools and go, go for it. And that is such a huge moment for Claudia and- it opens her eyes to what she does want to do with her life. And it's not just running away and feeling salty at her brother. She, she finds her calling. And so I love, I love that. It's so magical, especially at that age to just fall in love with this thing and say like, yes, this is it. This is my thing. This is who I am. Couldn't agree more. Oh, same page. Mm, Book pun. Same. (laughs) (laughs) Hashtag book pun. Book pun. Uh, had you ever heard the word perditorian before? Never. I had never yeah. heard that. And I love I love that word. I would I have do. gotten it's knocked out word. of the vocabulary contest with that one. <laughs> Same. I mean, it's that's a, that's a good one. I mean, yeah. what Karen, what's what's the opposite of a perditorian? Because that's what I am. Oh, like you lose everything? <laughs> yeah. A loser of found things. <laughs> I am I am <laughs> <laughs> I am <laughs> yes yes I am a loser of found items I will um, I will work on a vocabulary term for that and that will be the name of this episode <laughs> thank you a lossatorian a lossatorian yeah I like that yeah well yeah. and I think you know in conclusion to this piece I feel like something that's highlighted here is that Enola is better at all of this than Sherlock is. Yeah. (laughs) Like, he has all of the fame and the glory and is in the newspapers Mm -hmm. and stuff, but she is just slipping right under his nose. Mm -hmm. You know, she is thwarting him at every turn because she understands how his methodical brain works. Mm -hmm. And she's like, if I throw a little bit of chaos in there, it'll break Mm -hmm. his strategy. So I think she has kind of won at the end of this book. I, I completely agree. I mean, I think she's extremely similar to Sherlock and that she has kind of like honed in on this thing that she wants to do. But I mean, I mean, first of all, she's got humility, which Sherlock does not have an ounce of. No. And empathy. And empathy. Yep. And I mean, she's figured out Sherlock Holmes. Nobody in the country can figure out Sherlock Holmes, right? He's this great, you know, mind and everything. And she's routinely doubting that she's as she'll ever be as good or as smart or as 
you know, anything is him. And it's like, well, I mean, literally, he was standing in front of you in a police station. And <laughs> yes. Didn't recognize you. So I think I think you're good, babes. Yeah. So. Love it. Love it. Well, okay. The last thing that I wanted to talk about on my end, and I... I know that you also love this. You loved mm-hmm. it in the Nancy Drew books. You loved it in the Westing game. The ciphers and the yes. clues are mm-hmm. like their own character in the book. Yes. Um, and so at, before we discuss, just to mm-hmm. just to back up, you mentioned this in the super fast plot overview, but when her mom disappears, it's Enola's birthday, and she gives her she gives her these items that collectively lead to her escape basically Mm -hmm. so she gives her a book of ciphers that the mother has written and they are like scrambled coded words and messages Mm -hmm. but they also have paintings around them that include flowers Mm -hmm. and things that one would grow in the garden she the second gift she gives her is a book of flower meanings and so Mm -hmm. the combination of the ciphers and then untangling the meanings of the flowers that she's painted around them give even more significance to these clues. Like, mm-hmm. um, this means love. This means loyalty. Um, mm-hmm. The brambling rose at the end means, like, adventure and traveling mm-hmm. or something like that. And mm-hmm. so, oh, it was just so fun to see her start figuring out how to untangle these little word games. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Did you, were you, like, doing it oh. along with her? <laughs> I was. I loved it. I absolutely loved it. And I, so one of the flowers that she uses is ivy, which actually helps, it helps her, it helps Enola figure out how to decipher some of the clues because like ivy, you know, grows like in a zigzag. So that's how the cipher was written on that one. Yep. Um, But also I, it was so smart because Anola's name is a cipher in and of itself. It's yes. alone spelled backwards. She uses that to kind of like help Anola break the ciphers, but nobody else would be able to do it. But Anola recognizes her name, right? Yeah. So she starts seeing her name because it's alone spelled backwards and she realizes, oh, this whole thing is backwards. Do you know what I'm saying? Like it's, yes. it's, it centers her in the cipher. Yes. Um, so it's it's really it was clever it was really clever so well and then also at the end so now you know the mom and daughter are split up on their separate journeys and i love that enola figures out that she can still communicate with her mother because if she knows one thing is true about her mom she will always read specific newspapers she would Mm -hmm. there's this one newspaper that like if she is alive she will read this every single day i know this to be Mm -hmm. true about her so Enola starts posting ciphers in basically like the classifieds, I guess. Yeah, I, and, that's what I thought, yeah. And then at the end, her mom writes back. She gets the newspaper and there mm-hmm. is a cipher posted from her mother that gives her, mm-hmm. if she knows her mom's alive now. Um, she knows that she is traveling with, you know, this group of people all over the place. So we do end with the positive information that, Eudora is alive and well, and yeah, they. I just love that they're communicating through the newspaper. It's so I good. I know, I know. It was, and it's, you know, that I don't know. It's it's 
it's that message in a bottle thing, right? Of it's one thing to like receive a cipher and figure it out and solve it and everything, but it's another one to put it out there and get a response. Yes. And so that back and forth communication thing is super fun. And what I wonder is how long is it going to take Sherlock to figure this out? To see, start seeing these pop up right. and detangle right. them. Good, right. good question, Kelly. I had not. It's, it seems like a, a Sherlockian thing to figure out. It does. Oh, yeah. Well, anyway, the, the the other the other um you know just this isn't specifically cipher necessarily, but like we are kind of talking about how she's kind of passing up Sherlock right off the bat, and I one of my favorite parts in this book was almost in the same page as she's expressing all of this um, insecurity that she'll ever be as good as her brother Sherlock in any of these ways. She hears about this Marquess who has been kidnapped, and she's like, I'm going to go check that out. That could be interesting to kill some time till my train gets here. <laughs> and so she, you know, trots over to the, you know, estate, and in like 15 minutes has figured out not just that he hasn't been kidnapped, but probably where he's gone. Yes. And... I don't know. I was like, I don't know that Sherlock could have done this good. No, I don't think he could have. And I think part of it is what we were saying, that he lacks, he he understands very, like, tactical things about how people's brain works, but he lacks the, like, empathy and the humanization Mm -hmm. of the people that he's working with frequently. And she relates, she, because she can relate to the situation this guy is in, like, He's miserable. He's being stifled, just like I am with my brothers and these mm-hmm. clothes and boarding school. I bet we are having some similar thoughts. What would I do if I mm-hmm. was in this situation? And that's not something that I know that Sherlock can do very well. That's a really good point. That's a really good point. It, it does come back to the empathy thing, for sure. Yeah. He just sees himself as so different and elite and special that he doesn't... Right. I don't know that he would see himself in someone else and use that angle to solve no i think you're totally right theories theories that we have (laughs) well i definitely want to read the next one me too immediately yes i do too i want to know where her mom is so bad (laughs) i know i want to know where her mom is and i'm kind of curious like am i have i been saying her name wrong what's her name her mom's name I don't know. I may have said said it wrong. Is it Eudora? I don't. It's. A, I don't know if it's. I don't know. It's an E name. That's not Enola. Enola's mom. Um, Eugenia. Eugenia. I thought it was Eugenia. I said it um, wrong. She. She strikes me like we've never met her, right? Like we've only heard about her in past tense. We have not had like a, a scene where she's actually present. True. In it. But she strikes me as someone who, I don't know, maybe will not be satisfied with or maybe maybe has never been satisfied with just this, like, running away concept. Like, I wonder if she's doing something more or bigger with her time that we just don't know about yet. Mm. Like, wasn't there a reference to suffragettes? Yes. Suffragists? Yes. Many times. Yeah. The brothers, they're like, oh, I bet she's with her suffra- suffragette friends and, yeah. you know, has run off to wherever they're headquartered. You're totally right. So I'm wondering if there's not more going on. Um, yeah. 
I'm just curious. Maybe it, does, it just it seems out of character. She's so. like involved in some war, like Alan Turing style, like code breaking mm. because she's so good <laughs> yes. at ciphers. Like, oh, that's a really good point. I'm just curious. I mean, who knows? Maybe she really is off, you know, roaming the countryside in her in her clothes that don't touch her body, just like <laughs> I would do. A flower crown in her hair sounds good. I bet you are correct. Oh, that's good. That's good. Thank you. Thank you for that. Also, I just, I would like to ask, could we bring back bustles and hip enhancers? Because (laughs) that would be great for me. I just, it seems like so much work to get dressed in the morning. I pride myself on being able to get ready for work in like 15 minutes at this point, and I'm not here to do all of that. Given that we both work from home now, it's yeah it would be hard uh, getting ready for work definitely takes me 15 minutes now <laughs> i mean but i mean can you imagine if like if you worked from home you would just be like you know what i'm not wearing the bustle today they're right. gonna see me from the waist up anyway <laughs> you just you know? put on like the top half and then you have yeah. sweatpants underneath <laughs> yeah i'm like i'm gonna need one more book to get this camera high enough that i don't have to wear a corset <laughs> Uh, could somebody pin on my bang fringe for me? Oh, they did have a lot of pin on bangs in this book. Yeah. yeah. I didn't know that was a thing. Bangs have ruined people's lives forever, Karen. <laughs> but it's a that good way to... not a modern thing. It's a good way to <laughs> test drive them before you get the scissors out, I guess. You know, that is a good point. Just pin them that on and a good point. ride them around for a day and see how you feel. <laughs> yeah. What was that show, that Zoe Deschanel show that was on? That girl, she ruined my life. Like eight years ago I, I, uh, I was like I kept trying so hard to get those like she had those like really heavy bangs in that show and and she also wore glasses and I was like I'm practically Zoe Deschanel if I just had bangs like did you do it I'm, yeah and it was horrible look real bad on me I love a bang I I have I am still living my emo glory days. I refuse to not have a thick, swoopy bang. I just, I can't. I'm sure the youths are all making fun of me, and I don't care. I'm I'm not making fun of you. You look great. No, the the youths. These bangs did not look great. Oh, you know what? Forget the youths, okay? Like, (laughs) I'm not interested in in input. Agreed. if If you ever had to get off the school bus and race to your room to record your favorite song on a cassette tape off the radio so that you could listen to it later. I don't want to hear from you. (laughs) That was all memories. I remember once uh, calling the radio station. I listened for like three hours. So I knew Mm -hmm. all of the songs from the countdown in the right order. And I called the radio station and I won the contest. And that was the highlight of my life. How did you win? Like a CD. I, it was, did you ever even pick it up? I did. Mom took me to get it downtown from the... I won, I won something one time, and I never went and picked it up. I wonder if it's still there. I, I highly doubt it, because probably, it probably was also a CD. They're like, here's it was a... probably 20 years ago. Here's an iTunes code to download it, Kelly. Could you imagine <laughs> if I just showed up and was like, hey, so I won a countdown contest in... 2001 and <laughs> i am here for my cd please. i'd like to claim my and price you. mm-hmm. you've had it in escrow for me all these years right q102 the radio station Q-102. of our youth yeah um, well okay all of that being said shall we rate this book oh we shall and karen this week we are rating enola holmes in the case of the missing marquess out of a 12 possible dress bustles <laughs> Perfect. Very bustle forward this episode. Very bustle forward. So Karen, what say you? 
I am rating this book 10 out of 12 bustles. Defend, defend your rating, please. I just, I loved Enola. I loved her bravery. I loved how she could not resist getting involved in a mystery, even though yes. she's actively in the midst of, <laughs> right. like, aggressively running away from home and yeah. has a train to catch and is trying to remain undercover. And then she just cannot help herself. She has to go get involved in this mystery, which is adorable and the best and makes her an awesome character. Um, yes. And as I have said a thousand times, I can't wait to just read the rest of these and see what is going on with her mom. It's driving me crazy. Yeah, um, yeah those are my my thoughts and musings. Or well, my rating. Awesome. <laughs> what, rating. What is your rating? I'm giving it an 11 out of 12. <gasps> oh, even yeah. higher than me. Yeah, but I mean, but we're we're in the same the same end of the range. Yes, you know? yeah. Uh, love the character for all the same reasons you just said. Uh, I I genuinely loved her escape plan. Yep. I thought it was great. Um, and I just want to read the next one. So yeah, I eleven out of twelve. Could not recommend more highly. Beautiful. Yeah. So typically, Karen, we I don't know why I said your name weird. I like Karen. I liked it. Karen. <laughs> Karen. So typically we would be announcing our next reading list today. Come. Oh, that's right. Yes. Oops. However, did, we, did we mess up? <laughs> no, we did. We actually did not mess up. Okay, good. Um, I remembered and actively made a choice to not. So Whew. we don't have an episode next week because, you know. We're taking we a little. We're taking a break. A breather. Yeah. It's summertime, you know. Summer. Um taking a break the following week is going to be our super super sleuth episode (laughs) culinary edition oh that's right i am Mm -hmm. thrilled and terrified at the same time (laughs) Uh, it's gonna be great um so anyway we've got two weeks until our culinary episode and if you are listening to this and haven't listened to the last few we're going to instead of reading a book for that episode we're gonna make a couple of recipes from the Nancy Drew books that have been referenced. <clears throat> we sure are. Partially so that we can open, sample, and review the canned brown bread <laughs> that was sent to us by our friend Megan. That has been um, burning a hole in my pocket. I have it sitting on the same. counter and every day I'm like, what is inside of you? I cannot wait I to find out. I'm afraid that it's burning a hole in the aluminum can, to be honest with you. <laughs> what is in this thing? Um, so anyway, if, if you're listening to this in real time and if you have any suggestions or, or request on recipes that you want us to make from Nancy Drew, uh, hit us up on Instagram or through our website. Um, but we will let you know our reading list number six, I think. I think it's reading list six uh, picks at the end of our culinary episode. So stay tuned for that. Perfect. And we will leave you with the moral of the story. What we learned today from Enola Holmes. What did we learn today? I feel like I learned a lot of things, but I nestled it down, nestled it down, whittled it down. (laughs) Listen, I don't know, man. I picked one, basically, is what I'm trying to say. And that is, Kelly, everything around you is a tool you can use to your advantage if you're creative enough. Women's undergarments are uncomfortable, but can be used as emergency storage and weapons in a pinch. (laughs) Excellent to know. And with that, Happy sleuthing! It's a Clue is hosted by Kelly Biscopink and Karen Farmer. Our logo is designed by Courtney Kyle. You can find her on social media at I am Courtney Kyle. 
the It's a Clue theme song was written and recorded by Danny W. You can find her on Facebook at Danny W. Music. Audio engineering is graciously done by our friend Mark Goodlow. It-